All right. Wow. That was good music, man. Mm. Forgot where I was. What is this, a church? Let me keep them in a bar. And then I wake up and I'm like, I don't know, it's a church. <laughs> All right. So when we're so when we're practicing truth telling, everything changes. When we start telling the truth, everything in our life changes. And when we start truth telling with God, our relationship with Him becomes more intense. We're, we can pay attention to Him because God only speaks in truth. Let me say that again. God will only speak to you in truth. That means if you're not willing to speak in truth, He's not talking. Like those are the rules. So if I want to know, if I want to know what God is doing, how to be aware of him in my life, how to pay attention to what he's doing, I have to speak and live in truth. That does not mean, that does not mean that I'm sinless. Living in truth does not mean that I'm sinless. It just means that I tell the truth. So there's really kind of three ways to think of the mystery of myself. There's the real self, the real me, which is the one that's just telling the truth, the real me. I'm being realistic about who I am. I'm really unhappy. I'm really afraid. I'm really fearful. I'm really worried. All these things, I'm saying what I really believe down here. I'm not talking about what I know up here. Like Christians especially, religious people talk about, they talk from up here, they don't talk from down here. I know I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not. I know I'm not supposed to ever be afraid, but I'm afraid. This is not real, this is real. This, this in science is called neurocardiology. It's that the heart, this is the newest research, really fascinating, that the heart is really the information gatherer and the brain is simply the organizer and processor. And the heart gathers all information all the time. All the time. That's why children can be born in states of anxiety with no brain development yet, but they're already living in fear. Do you know where they get that fear from? Their mother, right. They feel it in their heart. Children suffer rejection before they're able to process rejection. They know it's present. They know it here. That's how they know. That's why we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because the heart is the receiver of information. The enemy does not want you to live from the heart. He wants you to live from the rational mind. Because the rational mind is mostly wrong. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow in, in church. I mean, if, do you want to hear? It would be interesting if you listen, if we do this whole thing today and then calm listen tomorrow for 30 minutes, how different the Bible will sound to you tomorrow after today. Because I'm going to talk about tomorrow. My premise tomorrow is we're usually always wrong about pretty much everything that we've ever thought. You know that? But we're so sure, aren't we? We're so sure. And we're almost always wrong. Because the brain, the mind, can only work in recognition. In other words, the mind processes everything it sees presently based on what it's seen and known from the past. 
The heart sees everything anew all the time. Everything is anew, it's a new thing. And the brain's like, nope, we've seen that before, we got hurt, we're not doing it. That's how the rational mind works. That's why when God says, hey, I have a thing I want you to do in your life, it's gonna be incredible, you're like, and no. (laughs) No, it's amazing, you'll love it, you can hear it, you can feel it down here, no, no. No, 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 let's do this, and you dream, and you have a dream, and you think, oh no, I can do it, and then, and no, and no. Why? Because I'm not worthy because I'm filled with shame, because I'm afraid, so I will not do it. This is what hurts us. But, but, what, but if we could live from here, oh my gosh. And this is just an organizer. This is just like the budget. The budget is not God. The budget is a reference point. This is not God. This is God. This is more in line with God. This is mostly me until it's free. And then my mind and my heart live in unison and I live with what is called physiologically and academically an unconflicted mind. Can you imagine living with an unconflicted mind where your heart and mind are always in sync? And even greater, your heart and mind are in sync and they're in sync with God. Can you imagine living like that? I'm not talking about some religious magic world. I'm talking about in real life like Monday. Like I know, what, I know who I am here, I know how to use this in relation to this, and I know how to line all this up with God. And so I can do anything, actually, in my identity, in my identity. So what's this thing about identity? It's really important in scripture, this whole concept of identity that we're talking about. And identity can only be known by truth telling. So there's the real me, There's the real me, and then there's the true me. So the real me is just like me telling the truth in the situation that I find myself in. That's the real me. I'm being truthful. Do I love God? No. Real. That's real. Do I want to love him? I think so. I love people that say, I love God with all my heart. You don't even know what you're saying. You have no, like why waste time with that big long lie? Like, I try to love God, I do. I don't even know what it means to love him with all, I don't know what that means. I just say, Lord, I want to, whatever that means, and it doesn't hurt, I wanna do it. That's the real me. The true me is what God sees. This is what he made. This is what I'm moving to. So I'm moving from the real me, the God have mercy on me, a sinner, that's the real me, to you are my militant peacemaker. Let's go do it together. Come with me, follow me. Come up to me. Give me your burden. Take mine. Let's go. True me. Unfortunately, this is where we all live, in the false me. The false. It's not even real. It's false. I, this is, I feel unworthy. I feel, I struggle. This is, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. That's an identity statement, and I live my life according to this identity. And it's painful. This is the false me. I am shame. When a person says to me, I'm addicted to pornography, I said, that's not an identity. What are you saying? That's not an identity. What are you saying? What's your identity? You're telling me an action. What's your identity? A person who's addicted to pornography has an identity that permits them to be addicted to pornography. What's the identity? 
Unworthy. Oh, unworthy people hide in secret rooms and places where they can't be rejected. Yes. Yes. Shame-filled people waste hours alone in solitude because no one wants to be with them, and they know that's true. I'm ashamed. Shameful people live in dark and secret places. It's not even real, and it's definitely not true. But we treat people like this is real and true. Like, that's how we interact with our neighbors. My neighbor hates me. Oh, then I'm going to make, he's my enemy then. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to verify his false identity. Why does he hate me? Because he's ashamed. He feels shame, so he takes it out on me. He projects it on me. And I'm just going to verify that in him. Why? Because his violence makes me feel powerless, and it makes me feel unworthy and fearful. So I'm going to project back on him. And ah, here we go. Here goes the war. One time I was with the head of an intelligence agency in another country, and he said to me, he was frustrated, and he said, what would you say if we had the lead terrorist guy of this terrorist organization who came into this room right now and sat down? What would you say to him to defuse this situation? I said, I would look right at him and say, what can we do to bless you? And the intelligence guy, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I said, what would you say? Not what would you say, what do you say every time he comes in here? I tell him he's not getting anything from us. And what's the result? War. You cannot escape it. Because once you tell him he's not getting anything from you, what's the goal of his life? To get everything from you that he can. And so murder becomes a logical option. It like it makes sense. What else are we going to do? Someone's got to die. Right? And then you can't get out. And I said, I asked this guy, how long have you been at war? You. He said, every day of my life. Right. Right. And how long was your father at war? Every day of his life. Right. And how long will your child be at war? Every day of their life. And there's no end. Unless, unless you stop using this false identity, then it'll change. So the goal is to move from the false to the real to the true, and we're going to do that by lunch. Yes, thank you very much. And you'll be like, why do we listen to podcasts? I don't know. <laughs> you'll be doing the podcasts. I'm not kidding you. In your true identity, you will be doing the podcast. Why not? Why? So anyone in the Bible we can pick is an example. The whole Bible is case studies about identity. That's what the Bible is. You can say, you can think of any predicament you find yourself in. Get the Bible. Here's the book of case studies from all cultures, from all times. Let's see, where is a situation like mine? Ah, right there in Babylon. Oh, there it is. And then you can read the case study and like, ah, why'd that guy screw up? Oh, that's what he did. Satan's not afraid of you memorizing verses. He's not a vampire. You know, it's like, go away, Satan. You know, and you're like waving the book at him. He's not afraid of this. He's not afraid of verses. He quotes verses to deceive you. What he's afraid of is truth. He can't tolerate truth tellers. That's how Jesus beats him every time. Jesus only speaks truth to him. And he can only speak deception back. And so he has to go. When you speak truth, Satan will move away from you because you will be free. But tell the truth, confession is the first part of truth. So let's look at David for a second. I'm gonna, um, I, I, I just thought this would be interesting. I, 
Thank, thankful for people that spend their time doing this stuff. But here's a chronology of David's life. Listen, just for a second. Here's his life. So if we could put your life on a timeline, which is something we might do together in the future. But So um, he was born in 1041 B.C. That's when he was born, in case you have that on your calendar or anything. David's birthday is 1041 B.C. He's born in the 10th year of Saul's reign. Okay, and his father, when he was born, was over 100 years old. So that's kind of a bummer. From age 2 to 14, we know nothing about him. At age 15, he had, it is recorded his encounter with the lion and the bear. That's about age 15. So what is that? Ninth grade, something like that? Ninth grade, 10th grade, something like that. 15. He's killing bears and lions as a hobby. As a, as, a, as a job, a summer job. What's your summer job? I kill bears and lions and I write poems. That's what I do. Great. That's going to be a brilliant career. Can you imagine telling your parent, what do you do? I kill animals and write poetry. Are you going to be living at home the rest of your life? Okay. But they were the two things that made him king. Just interesting. Uh, at 16, he's anointed and becomes, uh, he's anointed by Samuel, becomes Saul's musician and one of his armor bearers. There's that old poetry coming into play. Age 16, he's anointed king. Hmm. Now, here's the, uh, here's the amazing thing about this little passage of scripture. When he's anointed king, it says David, in the Hebrew, it's a, you know, it's, in Hebrew is such a beautiful language because it's all verb-based, it's all action-based. There's no nouns, it's all action-based. And so, or the, the main part of the sentence isn't a noun, it's the verb. And, it's, and it says, when David was anointed king, it said he was rushed upon by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit rushed upon him, age 16. Do you know when the Holy Spirit left David? Never, never. Age 16, he's anointed king and he's rushed upon by the Holy Spirit. Do you know why the Holy Spirit rushed upon him when he was anointed king? Because that's his identity. That's, that's the true David. The real David can kill lions and write poetry. The true David is a king. He's a leader of men and women. He's a king. The real you can do stuff, maybe average, the true you can do, you don't even know. You have no idea. And I don't care what level you find yourself in in this world, you, there's higher to go. This is what we do. This is what, this is what our ministry is. We take any person at whatever level they're at, and they go higher. Not because we know how to do it. We just know how to know how to do it. And we just teach them how to know. And they're like, oh, I already know this. Right. Thanks for coming. I've always known this. Yes. Thanks for coming. It's like it was in me when I was born. It was. Too bad you're 55 now and figure that out, but that's okay. You have another five years or so left to do it. Go do it. <laughs> but that's what we do. So at this age of 16, David's anointed into his vocation and anointed into his true identity by God. And is he king yet? No. Do you understand that? He's not king yet, but he's king at age 16. When? Now and forever. But, he, but he's not officially king yet. No, that doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, you're the king. 
If God says to you in this room, you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 company or whatever he says to you, and you're uh, working at a gas station, according to the Bible, you should go, yay. When? Now. Start acting like one. Stop acting like this. Because God's only going to talk to you in your true identity. That's the only way he'll ever talk to you. Stop coming to him in false identities. He won't talk to you. Oh, God, I'm so unworthy. He's like, who, 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 what is that noise? Oh, God, I'm so shameful. Where is that? What is that noise? All I see is my future CEO of a Fortune 100 company. Who's saying they're shameful? Did you say that? How dare you say that to me? How dare you say that to me? I died to take away that shame. How dare you bring that into me? Stand up like a CEO stands. Stand up. That's how God talks to us, especially as men. You know what a leader is? Anyone that wants to see something changed is a leader. Anyone that wants to see something changed is a leader. God loves leaders. That's pretty much all he makes. Or changers, people that change stuff because we're constantly being transformed by the renewing of our mind and knowing perfect and excellent ways to do stuff. Romans 12. This is what Isaiah says about David. Isaiah 11 says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, just a little shoot, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Wow. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. That's David. That's his true identity, king. He's a 16-year-old, 10th grade king, one of the greatest kings that ever lived. God will only talk to him as a king from now on. How, how does he talk to you? At 17, David kills Goliath. At 18, he's promised Saul's older da- oldest daughter. At 19, he marries Michal. At 23, he flees Saul. This is all at age 23. He meets, intercedes with Jonathan. Jonathan, he flees to Noab. He goes to Achish, king of Gath. And then he goes to Adullam and gathers his family and 400 men together. At age 23, he gathers 400 men together. And he doesn't gather them, they come to him. Do you know why they come to him? Because he is a king. That's why. And you know the description of the men that come to him? This is in 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. The description of the men. Dispirited, in debt, and discontent. That's the men he attracts. What an army. That sounds like a church. Anybody have any money? Nope, that's why we're here. Well... That's who he attracts. Why does he attract those kind of people? Why does he attract those kind of people? Because he's a man after God's own heart. And when they look at David, they see Jesus, basically. (laughs) What do people see when they look at you? Dispirited, in-debt people, discontent, disenfranchised, whatever. He takes those 400 people, men, at age 23, And by age 26, he's leading an army of 600 of the best fighters in Israel's history. Who are they? 
the 400 losers are now 600 of the very best, of the very best. How did he do that? How did a 23-year-old in that amount of time turn 400 farmers and shepherds, or what they were, into men so skilled at warfare that they're listed by their identities in what they can do on the battlefield? It would be like if at the end of today, God was making a list and said, do you know who was in that room today? And he started listing your names by the name he calls you and what you will accomplish. And, that, and just list it out like that. Do you think he can do that? He can, that's what he does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not die, but will live forever like this. True you, true you, listed out. Look what he did. Look what this guy did. And two of the greatest of the top three, two of them, all they did was stand firm when everyone else ran away. That's their skill. That's what it says. They didn't kill anybody. It says they stood firm against the enemy when everyone else ran away. I'd love to be that one. I'd love to have that name. Everyone else quit. Everyone else went home. Everyone else boarded up their windows. Everyone else hid, but he stood firm. Ephesians chapter six, doing everything then, stand firm four times. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm against the enemy. In what? In your true identity. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you but we're not living in our true identities. We're drifting in between false and real, false and real, like that. When David is 27, David makes one of the great mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. He is still a man. <laughs> he makes a lot of mistakes, but when he's at 27, he makes a really big one. It's a fascinating passage. This is why you need to look at the Bible maybe differently than what you think, how you normally might look at it, because we look at the Bible in a formula of how we've been taught. Don't, don't do that. Ask God, God, what does this say to me? What is, how is this related to my identity? When you're reading scripture, what does this mean about me? What is, what, how does this act, how, this makes me afraid. Why am I afraid? What am I afraid of? Confession, telling the truth. In, in this passage, 27, when he's 27 years old, let me see if I can find it in here. David makes a big mistake. It's a cool story. It's a great story. It's a good case study. I think it's... Doesn't matter if I find it right now. I'll just tell it to you. I have it in my notes, but I don't want to look for it right now. In this story, so David has his 600 men. He's, he's up in the hills. He's waiting. If you think about David, David's operating, kind of interesting, he's operating an illegal army inside of, an, of a kingdom. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. What do you call a person? So Saul's the king. David's not king yet. Officially, he is to God. Saul's king. Saul rules the country. And David is operating his own army inside that country. What would we call that person today? Yeah, a terrorist, an insurgent. That's what David is. Be careful when you start calling people those sorts of names. 
Go back and look at scripture. So David is operating a private army of really talented soldiers, fighters, uh, and so Saul's after him, and he's hiding up in this cave, and in this one incident, there's two times, but in this one incident, he learns that Saul and, and his leaders are down, and Saul's asleep, right? And David, I love David, he's so, he goes, who wants to go with me down among them? What does that say about David? What does that say about him? Who wants to go with me down among these guys? He's fearless, but why is he, fe- there's a reason why he's fearless. Why is he fearless? He knows he's a king, and he isn't king yet. Here's what David thinks, I'm immortal. That's what he thinks. So you can't just be fearless. Fearless is just an abstract nothing. Are you brave? Yes. You don't know. He, it's by what he does. How can he just go, no one in the Bible goes and does stuff because, wow, we just have a lot of faith, let's go do it. They, it's not, they, know, they experientially can tell you why they're doing what they're doing. Because I'm the king. Has David ever been in a place where he should die and he didn't die prior to this? Yeah, all the time. It's like he's not afraid to die. How do you become not afraid to die? Going in places where you can die and not dying. That's how you know. Does anyone want to do that? No, then we can never be fearless. Like that's not complicated unless you won't tell the truth. Complication, making things complicated is so that we can doubt them and not do them. That's what complication does. Complex situations are never complicated. Complex situations are easy if you just know I'm going from here to here, that's all. I don't have to understand all of it. I'm going from here to here, that's all. Complicated is when I don't want to do it and I'm trying to find a way not to do it. I'm going to make it complicated because I'm afraid. So David says to his boys, who wants to go down there with me? He talks, he's asking two of them. I like it, only one of them answers, so one of the other guys isn't convinced apparently. Abishai says, I'll go, I'll go with you. So they go down, you know, they walk through the guards. It says the Lord caused them to go into a deep sleep like that. And so um, they remind me just one time, we, when we lived in Indonesia, uh, someone asked me how, my, how our kids are since they grew up in such bizarre places, but when, uh, so our first son graduated from high school in Indonesia, and he was in high school when the government of Indonesia collapsed in that wonderful time. It was a good time to be in the country. The poli- everything just disbanded, and it was just mobs burning everything down. And so, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, the Lord asked us not to leave the country. Because usually in those situations, missionaries are the first ones out says something to the people of the country. But, and so the Lord said, I want you to stay through this because I want your kids to see that I can protect them. Donna said, did he say, did he say we were in that too or just the kids? Like, are we getting protected or is just our kids? Um, so we stayed through it and it was crazy. It was just insane. And one time, I mean, it was just, just thousands of people just going up and down your street, burning houses down and robbing. And um, so one time we were in the car and I had some kids in the car with me our kids and some other kids, and I was driving, I went around this corner and I got out on the street and here comes this mob of thousands of people and I can't back up, it's just like, and I just have to, I'm stopped in the street and here they come, you know, I got the headbands on and the clubs and they're screaming and yelling and um, they're looking for foreigners, unfortunately, and, uh, and they're coming down the street and uh, our three sons are in the car with us and my wife and some other kids and and Donna says, what, what, what should we do? Well, what do you, I don't know. What do you do? So I said, I, this, this is how spiritual I am. 
I look in the mirror and I say to the kids, pray that we're invisible right now. Pray that we're invisible. And they're like, okay. They think it's awesome. God, help us to be invisible. Make us invisible. And I'm like, this is a really good idea. Make us invisible. Make us invisible. Like that. Just make this invisible. And the crowd comes down and they just go around our car and they, and they shake the car like this. But they don't break any windows or anything and they don't try and get in the car. They just move it like this as they're passing by. They're like, be invisible. Be invisible. Be invisible. And the whole crowd goes by. And we were just sitting there in the middle of the street. And I was like, okay, all right. And our kid's like, no, we like being invisible. <laughs> can God do stuff like that? Yes, he can. Do you know how many times we've prayed that since that day? In so many situations, we've been like, be good to be invisible right now. It's interesting to me that writers of fiction and stories, do you know where these ideas come from of being invisible and all that? They come from God. We don't think this, like, where does this stuff come from? It comes from the universe, the great mystery, to know and understand these things. Anyway, David goes down with Abishai. You know this story. They go down there, and Abishai's like, oh, there he is. There's Saul right there. There's the head of ISIS right there. There he is. One, it's Abishai brags. He said, it'll only take me one shot. He'll be dead. Just give me one shot. And what does David say? No. He says, no, that's a bad strategy. That's dumb, that's short-sighted, it's dumb. I'd only do that if I was afraid that God couldn't do in my life what he said. That's brave, that's faith. Now, we don't wanna kill this guy because if, when I become king, I wanna be king because God made me king, not because I made myself king. That's smart. That's, he knows his identity. He's not, he doesn't need to manipulate things to make his identity happen. He's gonna wait for God to do it. And he holds back Abishai. And then, you know, they cut some of his clothing off. David goes up the hill, and then he shouts down to him because he is kind of, it was kind of cool, and he does want to make it known what happened, you know. And so he's, and he says, Saul, and he says, Saul says, David, my servant. And he says, how is it that I, he makes fun of the general, you know, how I walked in there, how did I do that? What's Abner doing? Like, what, what, what are they doing down there? I walked right in there, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And why are you chasing me? I'm just a little flea. I love it. I'm a little flea in the desert. I'm not causing you any trouble. I could have killed you, I didn't. And Saul says this amazing thing. He says, David, my son, this day you have shown me that my life is valuable in your eyes. And because of that, this conflict ends right now and they leave. You wanna end a conflict, this is a great lesson in conflict ending. Make the enemy think that their life is valuable in your eyes. It ends conflict. We don't do that because it's weak. That's what David does, and so they leave. And then David makes this amazingly huge mistake. I think it's 27. This is what he does. That's what we're gonna pray about right now. He does this. It's after that, after that amazing, like, like that's like Tuesday afternoon that happens. Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning, David says, the verse says, and David thought to himself. Or it says, and David looked into his heart. He takes his eyes off of this and he looks into himself and he thinks to himself and he says, this is what he says, surely, surely Saul is gonna kill me. What happened? What happened? And so he makes a decision based on, and David thought to himself, and David thought to himself, surely Saul will kill me. Therefore, therefore, let's flee. Let's run self-protection, self-preservation. 
is always the, the strategy of a fearful person, self-preservation, self-protection, fear. Not I'm invincible, that's gone. So he's gonna take his elite fighting force over among the Philistines and go over there and start a life as a murderer, as a caravan robber, and a liar. That's what he switches to, to protect his own life. Wow. And so while he's over there doing this, his men are looking at him like, wow, what happened to our guy? Like suddenly he's afraid. We're running around. One of us can kill 800 men. One of us can kill 800 men. And we're robbing caravans? And we're lying and telling the Philistines that we're over here doing this and we're really over here doing this and we're murdering people and covering it up. This is what we've turned into? Is this what we do? What happened? David gave up his true identity and stepped into not even a real identity, a false identity. And so what happened to our poet, warrior, king? He's now a liar, murderer, thief. What, how long did it take? 24 hours. Bam, he's down. And, and he's in that place. And because he's in that place, he starts to lose battles. His guys start to lose. And then they're away, and this other party comes in and raids their village and takes away their wives and children. And the men come back with David. And their wives are gone, and their kids are gone, and they pick up stones to kill David. Suddenly, David's not so invincible anymore because he stepped out of his identity that God gave him into a false identity of self-protection and self-preservation, and even his own heroes hate his guts and want to kill him. That's how fast Satan works. Now, what is our safeguard against this kind of thinking? We do this every day. Uh, Let's see. It's called walking side by side with yourself as your counselor. How dumb is this, Jamie? Yes. Um, What do you think about the situation we find ourselves in? I'm afraid. Good, because I'm afraid too. Who am I talking to? Myself. And the enemy's willing to chime in. You guys are right. You guys are so smart. People aren't paying attention to the facts. They're stupid. You're paying, you know you're going to lose this thing. When your wife says you're not a good husband, you know she's right. Isn't she right? Yeah, she's right. Because it never takes any faith to believe a lie. Never. It never takes any faith to believe a lie. It always takes faith to believe the truth. God's like, you're not, you're not in any danger. That takes faith to believe. No one can kill you till I say so. That takes incredible faith to believe. We don't believe that at all. Here's a, here's a big one we don't believe, that you cannot die. In other words, even if you lose your life, even if you give up this, that it's somehow, this is better than what's to come. That's what we really believe. God, don't let them die. God, don't let them die. Why are we saying that? Why are we praying that? God, we have two friends, two friends now very close to death, two men, great men, powerful men that have loved God their whole life, and they're both very close to death. One of them is now paralyzed from the neck down because of the disease that's ate through his spine. I mean, this guy's so vibrant and powerful, and he can't move, and he's laying on the bed, and his wife called my wife yesterday and says to her, Donna's like, how's your husband doing? She said, oh, he's driving me crazy. 
He keeps saying he can see the river into the city. And he wants to put his foot in it, but he can't quite reach it. And he can see the trees on the other side of the river in the city filled with fruit, and he's trying to reach out and take the fruit, but he can't quite reach it. And you know what his wife says? I'll help you put your foot in. Get your foot in. Go, 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 go. Do you think of death like that? Go. Run again. The other guy, I was with him in a meeting, deathly ill, but he's able to get up and come into this one little meeting we were doing, and he starts talking, and he said, I'm living, I'm in two worlds. He said, I'm in two worlds. I have a foot in both worlds. And he said, and I don't want to waste any time over in this world. I don't want to waste any time. I want to use it for all the value it is, and there's beauty here, and I want to pay attention to it. And yet, over here is my son. His son died when he was 27. He goes, my son is over there, and I want to go see him. And he starts crying, not about leaving this. He wants to get there. I want to see my son again. I want to go. And his wife's sitting there going, go tell him hello for me. Go. This is the way to view death. In death, there is no sting. That's what it says. Do we not believe this? Because if we're afraid to die, we will do anything to protect our lives. And Jesus makes us this incredible promise. He who seeks to save his own life, I promise you, will lose it. Do you hear that promise? I've never seen that on a t-shirt or a coffee cup. Promises of Jesus. We should have it hanging up. He who seeks to save his own life will lose it. But he who lays down his life for me will take it up again. Why? What are you afraid of? This false identity, this false identity David steps into, he's thinking to himself, how does my world look? He's telling himself, he's advising himself on it, and he's watching, he's asking humans, what about my world? How's my world? And the news is telling him it's bad. It's terrible. It's all bad. And so like, how can we, what can we do? We just have to withdraw and close, and we lose our identity, and the people around us begin to dislike us, and we become isolated even in groups. And our communities don't help us. We're a reproach even to our own communities because we're in such fear and false identity. We gotta come out of that. So we're gonna do two things, one right now. Let me see, I wrote down the time so I remember here. One right now, right at our tables. Can we move to our tables, is that okay? Yeah. So the table leaders have already done this exercise, so you can really um, ask them questions. I think it's pretty, all pretty straightforward too, again. So what we're going to do is we're going to deal with the question of identity right now. Okay, so in the first session, we're just telling, we're learning to tell the truth, listening to God speak truth back to us. Okay, and in the area where you confess, what you're going to discover is that the trash pile, the rats are what, what come up in your mind as I'm doing this, I'm doing, I should be doing this. Those are the rats. The trash pile is your false identity. The trash pile is the false identity. The false identity attracts the rats. It gives Satan a place to work. If David doesn't say, and David thought to himself, surely I'm gonna die, 
If he doesn't step into that false identity about I have to protect my own life out of fear, the enemy has no, he's invincible. But once he moves into that false identity, the rats come, all of them, to where David's own men want to kill him. So we're going to look, we're going to, we're going to find that trash pile right now. Okay, and that trash pile is a false identity. Okay, very simple. As you see, the way to find the false identity is to ask God to tell you what it is. Very simple. Um, this is what prayer is all about. This is why prayer is so effective and so powerful um, is this. Okay, so when I pray, it's, it's, I, you should write this. There'll be more than one probably. So when I pray, I'm going to ask God to say to you the false names that you believe about yourself to be true. Okay? I'm going to ask God to say to you the false names or false identities that you believe about yourself to be true. There will be things people have called you, things you've called yourself, all through your life. Could be a long list. Um, could be short, doesn't matter, whatever he says. Okay, so that's what we're going to ask him to do. When you, when you hear those, and you might know them all right now, most of us do, they, they, because we just live in them all the time, their accusation and condemnation. When you hear those, I want you to just write them down, but write them down on something that you can burn or tear up, because we're not going to hold on to them, we're going to get rid of them. But confession is telling God the truth about what you believe about yourself to be true. The only way that David can come out of the situation that he's in with his men who want to kill him is to go back into his true identity. He can go back into his true identity as fast as he left it. So you can leave your true identity in an hour, but you can go back to it almost instantaneously. You got, can you guys hear? Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay, so here we go. So get, we're going to listen and write. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these men and women in, the, in history that we can read about who live their lives on these pages so that we can see their mistakes, to see their fear, their, their guilt, and their shame. And then, Lord, to see how you reach in and redeem and rescue every time that they call out to you. You're right there with them. Because you love us, because you long for us to be with you and you with us. This is your desire. We love you because you first loved us. We know that you love us because you demonstrated your love to us in that while we were sinners, you died for us. This is how much you love us. So Lord, help us to know the truth about what we believe about ourselves. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just ask you again, Lord, just clear our minds. Just clear our minds of other voices, just you, Lord, just the voice of the true Lord Jesus, a voice that doesn't condemn and accuse, but just speaks truth. And Lord, would you just search us now with your spirit? And Lord, would you search us and know us? And Lord, would you just say to me the false names or the false identities I believe about myself to be true? Lord, would you just say to me the false names I believe about myself to be true? Just say them to me, Lord, and just bring them to my mind. And when he does, just write them down. Go ahead.
So don't be afraid. Just let the Lord search you. We want this stuff cleared out. We want to be free. So Lord, just search me all the way. Every secret room, every closed place in my heart, Lord, just shine your light in there and just show me anything about myself, any false identity about myself I believe to be true. Okay, now the reason you're writing it down, this is a tactical matter, this is strategic, because the enemy, Satan, cannot read your mind. Neither can angels or demons. So these false identities give the enemy a place to work in your life. These false identities give authority back to the enemy that he doesn't actually have until we hand it to him with these false, and we start living out these false identities. So we're just, we're actually writing these out in front of the spiritual world. We're just putting the enemy on notice right now that we're gonna speak out the false identities. That's what you're doing. And we're doing it in the presence of our king, of God, in his protection, in his safety. Okay, once you have them down, once you have them written down, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to use your imagination. Your imagination is from God. Your imagination is the place where you have dreams and visions. This is of God. The Bible says he he has kept in perfect peace whose mind and imagination is fixed on God because he trusts in God. So instead of using our imagination to ruin us, we're going to use it for how God intended to see things the way he sees things, to see the unseen real. Okay, so Father, would you just sanctify our imaginations right now, this great gift that you've given us to picture things in the future, new ideas, new inventions, a happy future, all these things that our imagination are for. Lord, would you just guide our imaginations right now in your presence, in your holiness, and I want you to imagine taking your list of false identities and giving them to Jesus. Just picture in your mind, Lord, just show them what it looks like. Show them what, you, what it looks like when they hand you these false identities. The reason we're picturing Jesus is because Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. So we're just going to imagine, picture, Lord, just guide us in this. Show us what, what does Jesus do when we hand him these false identities. And just whatever he does, I want you just to remember it because I want you to say it around the table what you see Jesus doing. And if you don't see anything, don't lie. Just say, I didn't see anything, okay? Always tell the truth. It's okay. Always tell the truth. Okay, so what does Jesus do with these false identities when you hand them to Jesus however you do it? Just picture that. And after a few seconds, table leaders, you start. I want you to share with each other what Jesus does with those false identities, okay? Go ahead. Okay. I, don't, I, I hate to cut you off. 
So make sure at your tables you're all able to share. One thing I do love, I love how we're doing this confession time with Jesus and people are laughing. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. When Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus was filled with joy that Jesus came to be with them, and Zacchaeus is the one that came up with returning all the money four times. Jesus didn't tell him to do it. It was because he was with Jesus, living in his true identity. He did what Zacchaeus' true identity was to do, be generous, be generous. Zacchaeus was living 180 degrees opposite of his true identity, hoarding money. When he meets Jesus, he moves into his true identity, gives it away. That's how Jesus interacts with people. No, I'm sorry, say you're sorry, none of that nonsense, truth. You are not, I did not create an embezzling tax collector. I created a man who knows how to make money and give it away more than what the law requires. Do it, and Zacchaeus does it. And he's filled with joy and we're all filled with joy. That's why when we come to the Lord with our false identities, it should be the happiest moment of your life. It should be good here. Jesus, take these things and do with them whatever you do. Now, we just had a good suggestion. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to close this session. Then we're going to get the instructions for lunch. I'm going to close this out. We're going to come back with the directions, and we're going to go into true identity because we don't want to – we swept the house clean. We don't want to leave it empty for more than lunch. Otherwise, the demons will come back, and we don't want that. They'll wait till after lunch, so we'll get it before that. But, but the house is clean, so we want to fill it. So I'm going to c- close – and when you go out, I want you to, if you saw Jesus do something with those false identities, I want you, there's the trash cans right there. Rip them up, spit on them, burn them. I don't do something, get rid of them. We're done with these things. We don't want to have them anymore. We're going to move into the new identity. We're going to start making plans out of the new identity. So when you go out, throw them away, hate them, whatever. And then, um, and then we'll come back and we'll do real identity. Here, let me pray. Father, thank you for these men. Lord, thank you for their truthfulness. God, thank you for being a God who pursues us with truth and true identity. You made us to be something. We want to be real with you, tell you the truth, and move into our true identities with you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's never condemnation. It's never guilt. It's kindness that leads us to freedom in you and be done with these names and stop acting like these false identities. And so Lord, we give them to you and we ask that you close the door on them. Never, never, Lord, teach us to live in our true identities, we pray. Lead us into that in the next session. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.